effective coaching conversations take more time. So they do take patience. It's a lot easier for me to say, hey, Chad, go do A, B, and C than it is to draw out a conversation and come up with a solution together. So it, it does take more time. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about one of my favorite topics, coaching and leadership effectiveness, and more importantly, how comfort can ruin your life. So why is coaching so important and how do you tackle it to drive effectiveness? To help us, we have with us Sarah Wirth, president of the Excel Institute, the world's first and only organization to measure and quantify leadership effectiveness and co-author of The Coaching Effect. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it. With over 20 years of experience in employee assessment, leadership development, and executive coaching, Sarah, has presented to execs from Mercedes-Benz to Estee Lauder to Ritz-Carlton and more. Sarah, thank you for taking time and welcome to the show. Thanks, Chad. Excited to be here. All right. So before we jump in, we always like to ask a random question so people get to know you a little bit better. And the current environment has allowed me to change that up. So curious to know, what's something that the increased work from home environment has allowed you to connect to or reconnect to a passion, a hobby, escape, something that allowed you to dive back into and revive it? What's that been for you in in this current situation? You know, probably the the most simple thing has been having dinner with my family. And that might not seem like the most amazing thing in the world, but I've got two sons that are now in high school, a husband that travels a ton for work. And being able to have family dinners is a luxury that we've just not had for quite a while. And I, I bet we've probably eaten together more in the last three months than we have the previous three years. So <laughs> <laughs> it's been really nice. Yeah, the family time. It comes with pros and cons. I've got yes. 11, I got 11 year old <laughs> twins, 11 year old twins here. So that's just great to spend so much time. And sometimes it's, I need to go outside. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's start with some context. I'm all about, I'm a context kind of guy um, for yeah. the audience. What's the difference between coaching, managing and leading? Okay. So here's how I think about it. To me, managing is really about execution, making sure that people get things done. You know, we, we come up with a process, we come up with a list of priorities and we manage that to make sure that, that it gets accomplished. Leading to me is much more conceptual, big picture. Here's where we're going. Here's our strategy, painting that vision, painting that mission. Coaching, on the other hand, is where a lot of the day-to-day motivation, interactions, support come into play. Coaches that are really effective, what they do differently than managers or leaders is they really understand their people. They build relationships of depth with them. They know what their people need to accomplish. And then they ultimately help them figure out new ways of getting that work done. And they challenge them in that way so that they're using their strengths to their best ability. I love it. That's, that's probably the most concise explanation of the three that I've ever heard. Uh, I'm probably going to, I'll reference it to you, but I'm probably going to steal that one. And so when you think about organizations, and I often find that there's this, when we talk to people, there's this misconception of what those three things are and how they differ. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, they blur the lines and don't really leave room for that coaching conversation. 
right? They have mm-hmm. a tendency to believe uh, motion equals productivity, so we'll just get them get them going. And so, why do you what, you know when you work with companies or, or present to companies, what do you see as the largest blockers to that coaching mindset? Yeah, you know, a lot of it is just that willingness to start to operate differently, and and in particular, to say to your team members, "I'm going to help you figure out ways of working," as opposed to telling you what to do. When I think of managers, they're they're so good at saying, "Here's what we need to accomplish," and then I'm going to put together that plan and and work that plan, make sure that everybody plays their part. Coaches instead sit down and they ask a lot of questions and they ask you, you know, what's your strategy here? What's your idea here? What do you think we could be doing that we're not? And so they gather all of these ideas together and then ultimately help their team formulate that into a plan that they execute. So coaches, I think of of kind of, they facilitate the work getting done as opposed to managing the work getting done. And that's, that feels very different for most people in terms of how they're used to, to working with their teams. Well, it's hugely different, right? Like mm-hmm. if you think about how most people end up in management, usually, especially in sales and marketing, you see top performers, hey, they were great at carrying a bag or they were great at this element. So let's put them into management. And then we don't even really give them a lot of management coaching, um, management training, let alone coaching training, right? right? It's a huge difference between the two. And so if, we, if you could illustrate it, and I think you've kind of already touched on it, but if you could illustrate the difference between what a coaching conversation sounds like to you versus a managing conversation, just as an example, so the audience can start to stick to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's take a probably very real life example. One of one of your team members comes to you and they're having a customer issue that's come up, some kind of service-related issue, sales-related issue, doesn't really matter. Most team members will come to their boss and they'll say to them, Hey, I'm stuck. You know, I'm stuck here. I'm having this problem. What should I do? Most bosses will say to their team members, okay, so I'm listening to what you say. I would recommend this and I would do this and then I would do that. Let me know how it goes and we'll follow up on it, you know, in our next one-to-one, something like that. That's a management conversation. Here's what you should do. Here's how you should accomplish it. (laughs) Let me know how it goes. (laughs) A coaching conversation is very, very different. It's okay. So you're having this problem. So what have you thought about doing in response to the problem? What, what, what are you thinking is the right approach? Have you considered, you know, a different approach? Is there something that you've tossed aside as an idea that you haven't, that you're not moving forward with, but maybe you should? Have you considered the complexity of what's going on over here? A coaching conversation is asking a ton of questions and helping your people learn to think through a problem. Ultimately, with the goal of not only do they then own the solution for that particular issue because they've helped define what the solution is, but hopefully down the road, they're learning to think on their own so that they're not coming to you as much, that they know how to think through that problem. They know how to tackle it. And they don't even have to seek your input because they've been trained of how to effectively work through those types of issues. And part of it to me seems like it's how do I help them think uh, differently, right? How do I help them self-source the answers? And so when you think about that, one of the skills that comes to mind, which I... I probably, some would probably tell you I still struggle with, I know I struggle with when I was younger, is the patience to have somebody get to that point and go, ah, when you knew 15 minutes ago what the answer was. So patience is a huge one, but what other skills do you feel are critical for an effective coach? 
Yeah. It, it's being willing to take that back seat where you don't have to be the one that comes up with the answer. To your point, effective coaching conversations take more time. So they do take patience. It's a lot easier for me to say, hey, Chad, go do A, B, and C than it is to draw out a conversation and come up with a solution together. Right. So it, it does take more time. But the other thing is it also takes the coach saying, you know what, I don't have to be the hero in this situation who always has an answer. For a lot of coaches, especially those that came from their work because they were great individual performers and they got promoted because they knew the answers and they knew what to do, to all of a sudden be in a job where my job is no longer about telling you the answer and coming up with the answer on my own. It's facilitating your thinking. It kind of takes them sublimating their ego a little bit because it, it feels good to be the answer person. It feels good. <laughs> you know, you feel like the smart one. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And it's harder to take that back seat and to facilitate somebody else coming up with the answer and then saying to them at the end of it, great job. You know, you clearly came up with a good strategy, go forth and do it. That takes sublimating the ego. And that's, that's hard for a lot of folks. That's, that's tough for a lot of people, especially when you get into sales. Cause I joke with all of our clients that most salespeople <laughs> have really huge egos, but they're very fragile. And so we want, we want to make yeah. sure if you're going to be a good coach, you have to be able to understand how you play in that role. So then, all right, so let's say I sublimate my ego, I get them to, to come to the conclusion, come to the realization. Then there's this feedback conundrum, mm -hmm. right? Like how do I give feedback as a coach? How do I receive it as a coach? This goes back, this is another element of the ego aspect of it. But how do you recommend that coaches effectively approach and view feedback? Yeah. Yeah. So feedback, similarly to helping your team members think through an issue, we should be using a lot more questions when we're giving feedback. We think of feedback as I'm telling you what I thought you did well, what you should improve, what strategies you should take going forward. For most people, they can be a little defensive when they give feedback. And so if I'm coming at you as your, as your boss and saying, well, here's what I think about what you did, it can put people on the defensive. If I instead come to you and ask you more questions, you know, Chad, how do you think that call went? What would you have done differently? What did you really value what you did? What were you most proud of? Maybe specific points in the conversation to say, okay, so what were you trying to accomplish here? And, and you know, how do you feel about the response you got from the customer? Those types of conversations where I'm engaging you and helping you think through it. A lot of times you can help people self-discover, learn how to self-analyze their own performance. I've even had team members over time after a, a call together, they will come to me and say, okay, so here's what I think I did well. Here's what I wish would have gone differently at this, you know, so they kind of trained themselves to self-analyze their, their, uh, their own performance. And then they own it in a different way where they know that it's not about me criticizing them or saying, this is what you did wrong. It's more of us figuring out together what we want to replicate next time and what we need to do differently. So it feels like a collaborative conversation, not one where I'm getting criticized and need to be on the defensive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of it, at least for me, has been matching communication styles. Mm -hmm. So so I am by default, you know, six foot two, 250 pounds of tattooed biker uh, <laughs> that has a tendency to be type A squared. But yeah. you have to be able to understand that some people don't want the... East Coast in your face kind of approach that you have to modulate and understand. Yeah. When you think about individuals, how do you help 
coaches that are working to coach their team determine if somebody is actually coachable or not? Is there a way that is everybody coachable or are there things that you have to help them get to points they have to get to so that they can be receptive of the coaching? Yeah. You know, there's different degrees, right? Coachability probably goes on a sliding scale from people that just want all the feedback in the world and you can be super direct with them and they are always open to hearing it to the people that are very sensitive and (laughs) you have to be super careful about how you, how you deliver your feedback. There's a wide spectrum. I think I always try with kind of a middle ground of, you know, asking questions and engaging them and then giving them some direct comments and seeing how they respond. And you'll usually know pretty quickly, is this somebody who likes that kind of stuff and you can be really direct with them or somebody that you need to kind of lead them into it and make sure that you're asking them a lot of questions so that they're self-discovering as opposed to you telling them. Um, that usually tends to be better for people that, uh, that struggle with getting feedback and get defensive. Yeah. Love it. So some of this comes down to also being able to put people outside of their comfort zone, which nobody really like wakes up in the morning and says, Hey, I want catastrophic change or to be pushed outside my comfort zone. (laughs) But why is it so vital in a coaching relationship? Yeah. It's, you know, it's a comfort zone for a reason, right? It's comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) We we like it. So that's why we call it that. Um, but when you think about your best growth experiences, and, and I ask this question of people all the time, you know, when did you grow the most in your career? When did you grow the most as an individual? And inevitably, it comes back to experiences that got them out of their comfort zone. You know, they, they took on a new job. And so they had to figure out how to do that effectively. They got promoted maybe into a leadership opportunity and they had to figure out how to be a leader or a product launch or whatever, right? It's something that challenged them in that way. That's what gets us to grow. If we're doing what we already know how to do, and if we're doing the same things that we've always been doing, we may be executing it well, but we're probably not learning anything new. We're just, you know, performing. But if we're forced to do something that we've never done before, if we're forced to take on this new responsibility or initiative, we're going to have to figure out new ways of learning. And that's what gets us to grow. So being out of your comfort zone is absolutely a requirement if you're going to challenge somebody to grow in a way that they haven't before. Yeah. And it's so true. I've learned more from the times I have massively screwed up than yes. I have from, from any time I've you know been successful. I learn more and, and, and I actually can see the acceleration, you know, after that, once you deal with it, however you choose to deal with it, therapy, whatever it may be, I can <laughs> see the acceleration of success. And in, even in my own thinking and the way that I'll approach problems changes, but you have to be, you have to be open to it. The question yeah. becomes, how does a coach do that without risking credibility and trust, which are so critical in those, in those types of dynamics. Yeah. So I love that question because I think building that relationship and that trust is foundational. If somebody feels like you know them, you really understand who they are, you have their best interests at heart. Then when you challenge them and push them, they know it's for their benefit. 
and they take it in that sense. They feel that if you haven't built that relationship and that trust with them, you're just a jerk. That's putting something on their plate that, you know, they don't feel like they can accomplish. Um, So the relationship is absolutely foundational. And interestingly enough, we've actually studied this. We've looked at leaders who are really good at challenging people outside their comfort zone, but who aren't great at building relationships. They will have less effectiveness in terms of their team's performance, in terms of measurable results like sales than leaders who are good at both of those elements. So you see how it actually plays out in a measurable way. Wow. And every, I mean, every coach needs a coach who needs a coach who needs a coach, right? Everybody. And I tell this to people all the time, like I've got three or four of them. Some of them give me the feedback that East coast style. And some of them are a little bit softer, but they all know that if they can push me, uh, I have greater respect for them because that's my style. But some people, you you know, you have to be really careful. You have to have that trust relationship first uh, to do it. So when you look at organizations that have created I hesitate to say coaching culture, let's say room for the coaching or whatever. What kind of different outcomes are you seeing inside of organizations where they foster it versus those where they still blur the lines between management, coaching, and leadership? Yeah. I mean, you see it in a couple ways. For us, the ultimate measurement is performance. So you see it in their team members actually achieving more. So whether that's, you know, a better percent to sales goal, if they're leading a sales team or better client retention, if they're leading a service team, you know, those measurable outcomes that you want. So you see better results. Where it's probably most direct is when we survey their team members. So we will always begin an engagement with a client by conducting surveys to know what's happening with coaching right now in their organization. Is it something that they're already doing a fair amount of and they just need to refine it and get more consistent and improve the quality? Or is it something pretty foreign to them? And they don't do much of that. So we begin with that survey and then we work with that organization six months to 12 months down the road, kind of depending on the right timeframe, we'll resurvey their team members and then be able to see that assessment of how they've actually improved coaching over time. And that's really fun because (laughs) you get to see that people can get better at this. You know, it's not just a a skill set that you're either born with or you're, or you're not, you you can get better if you focus on it and and take specific actions and, and institute specific behaviors, you can improve. That's awesome. I mean, there's that whole thing. If you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Right. And so the outcomes, when, when you do the surveys, there's the whole component of how a team views the coach, the -hmm. impacts the coach is having on the team. But then do you also recommend that they look at other elements, say maybe business metrics that could be impacted by it as well? So it's a myriad of measurement that we're looking at. Uh Yeah, absolutely. Our goal is to help people improve in terms of quality of coaching, quantity of coaching. So are they doing enough coaching? What does their team members perceive in terms of the quality of that coaching interaction? And then ultimately, what are the performance outcomes? So turnover of sales team members or or service team members, and then measurable components of their performance. So, you know, actually whether or not those team members are hitting performance benchmarks that they're supposed to hit. Love it. Is there, is yeah. there a like recommended amount of coaching? I think some of the last stats I saw were yeah. three hours of coaching a month per employee or something. Is there stats that you research or insights that you can share around what, what's the optimal amount of coaching I should be doing? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So what we've looked at over time is um, people that are performing at a higher level, i.e. their team members are achieving their goals more effectively. How often are those coaches coaching? A couple of things that we have found that were a little surprising, um, for example, like a structured one-on-one where you're going to touch base with your team members and, and see what they've got going on in their world and, and how you can help them through that. We would have, would have anticipated that those needed to happen every single week. What we see is that the best coaches, some of them do them every other week and some of them do them every week. So it kind of vacillates between those two. You don't have to have a weekly one-on-one if every other week works well enough for you. So that's that's one thing we found. And then probably the most surprising were coaching through team meetings. We figured that the best leaders are doing team meetings every single week and touching base with their team on key priorities. What we found with our research is that actually it correlates higher to monthly where they spend, really? you know, yeah, yeah. I was, I was shocked by that one. That surprises um, the hell out of me. Yeah. Yeah. They still do. They still do maybe team huddles every week sure. that are kind of quick touch bases on key, key priorities. But as far as a team meeting, they really do it monthly because they're in depth. They're meetings where they're, you know, teaching new ideas, where they're sharing best practices amongst each other, where they're, you know, going through specific situations and challenges and talking about how to, how to lead through them and how to accomplish them. So it's not just like this thrown together, you know, we're just going to have a team meeting every week because we feel like we should. They really put a lot of thought into them. And, and for that level of, of quality, monthly is, is about the frequency that works for them. Okay. Love it. All right. So let's talk about the Excel Institute. Tell our audience about it, where it came from, how you got involved. Let's, let's learn more about this. Yeah. Okay. So Excel Institute was founded by our current CEO, Bill Ekstrom, and he founded it for a very specific reason. He had worked as a SVP of sales for a publicly traded company. And what he found is that there were a lot of resources for the sales person. So a lot of resources for the people that were actually trying to to sell products to customers, but not a lot for their leaders, not a lot out there teaching them how to be good leaders, how to be good coaches, how how to help their team members perform. And so he saw that gap and decided to start the Excel Institute in order to fill it. Um, and to help these people become more effective over time. So he recruited me to join Excel Institute about over nine years ago. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, I was excited to, to come on board and I, I specifically started off leading our client service. My, my whole background is in leadership development. Um, and so that was a natural fit for me. And then I moved into the role as president about uh, six months ago. Nice. Well, congratulations on that. And then there's the book. So how did the, how did the book, the coaching effect, how'd that come up? How'd that develop? So the coaching effect. So one of the things that if you've read it, the coaching effect, or if you're going to read it, you'll see in there that we recommend doing career development discussions with team members, asking them about their goals, their priorities, what they want to accomplish. The coaching effect book actually came from a career discussion that Bill and I were having. And he had asked me during the discussion, he said, what's your professional dream? And I gave some lame answer like, oh, you know, I want to grow our revenue by, you know, 20% in the next year or something. And he's like, well, yeah, I hope we do that too. But I'm talking more about, you know, big picture, you're at your retirement party. You know, what do you hope you have accomplished in your career? And I said, well, I'd like to write a book, which I don't think until that moment, it was something that I really conceptualized, but it's like the first thing that popped into my head is I wanted to do this. 
So he made note of that. And then um, over the next year or so, unbeknownst to me, he was submitting our writing to different publishers. And then he came up to me one day and said, hey, we got accepted to, to write a book. We're going to do this. And I thought, oh my gosh, what if I got myself into? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That is yeah. great. Well, congratulations on that, on realizing that, that dream and, and also Thank having you. a coach and mentor that would, would help make that happen. Absolutely. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions. The end of each interview. Okay. First is simply as a president, that makes you a prospect for a lot of people out there. You bet. And the easiest way in is always a referral. But if somebody doesn't have a referral and they're trying to get in front of you to you know, build the trust and the credibility to earn 13, 15, 30 minutes on your calendar, what works the best for you? Yeah. The key thing for me is knowing something about my business. Like if you just come to it and it looks like a pretty standard, you know, generic email that they're trying to get on the calendar, I won't even read it. <laughs> um, but if I look at those first couple lines and I see that, oh no, this is actually something that you're targeting me because you've, you know, learned something about me or have seen something about us out there and you feel like you've got a solution specifically for us, that makes a difference for me. Excellent. Show, show them, you know, them. it's, it's the number one thing we hear. It's the number one thing we hear people. All right. Last question. Yep. <laughs> we call it the acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services, people, one piece of advice that if they listened, that's the caveat you believe would help them hit their targets. What would it be and why? I would say, ask more questions. What I see out there is a lot of people that feel like they want to try to sell you something, convince you of something, move you towards a specific strategy. And for most people, they care more about themselves and their own needs than they do about your needs. <laughs> so, so if you want to help accomplish a goal and you want me to move towards whatever direction is going to help you accomplish that, then care about my needs, care about what I'm thinking about, care about my perspective. Asking more questions is one of the key ways that you can do that. So I learned very early on in my career that if you spend a lot of time asking questions and listening, it's amazing how you'll be able to move people towards the outcome that you want because now you know what they care about and what they want. Ah, I love it. I love it. All right. So, Sarah, if, if a listener wants more information on the Excel Institute, wants to talk to you, wants to get a copy of the book, where should we send them? Yeah. So go to excelinstitute.com, E-C-S-E-L-L, institute.com. There's a lot of information on what we do. There's more information on the book. And then you can, of course, grab the book directly at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I know there's some local bookshops that carry it as well, but you can definitely find it online at those two big retailers. Awesome. Sarah, I can't thank you enough for taking time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Chad. It's been great being with you. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. If you like what you hear, write us a review on iTunes. Until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.